Welcome to Innovating Music, a podcast from the UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music and the UCLA Center for Music Innovation. I'm your host, Dr. Gigi Johnson. Well, I had more of a voice when I recorded this with Ed Pito from Outdustry, who I caught up with in Berlin, but it could have been just as easily London or China with his globetrotting business. Ed started placing a bet on music in China back in 2006, and he's been working all this time for the market to catch up. Please enjoy our discussions of his stepping so early into China and how he is working on creating a system of believing in the future of music in China and his journey to understand and create change in this growing market space. And also a little bit about his new adventures taking a look at India. Please enjoy my conversation with Ed. I'm from London originally, and I was working in the music industry after university, uh, all sorts of kind of really low, low-end jobs, um, uh, anything from being kind of uh, a product manager at labels or artist manager, uh, sync licensing. Um, and, uh, well, actually, I think I got quite a good broad understanding of the industry, but at that time in 2006, I, I felt that the Western industry was, was, um, was really sort of going in through a kind of existential crisis, I think. And for me as a young go-getter at the time, I was like, well, rather than being part of an interesting industry that has to dismantle itself, I actually want to go somewhere where the industry is already at its kind of rock bottom. And, and China was just this place that there was no information out there about how it worked. There's no numbers there really of any meaning at all. And, 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 um, as I always kind of say, but with part of the story, I mean, I Googled China music industry and nothing came up. And that for me was just incredibly exciting. It was a place where you could go and build something from scratch or, or just kind of try to navigate even on a basic sense. And so I, I moved over there in, at the end of 2006 um, to really just start from scratch, I think, in terms of mapping out how the market worked. And actually one of the first sort of paying consultancy type um, roles I had was the uh, UK government um, hired me to write a guide to the Chinese music industry and I'd, I'd only been there sort of six months at that point and and uh, it was uh, yeah kind of uh, looking back over that document now is is, is really quite painful but um, yeah I mean that that was it and, and from then on I, I really had this quite odd experience in China of, of trying to sort of understand the industry and then add value to international partners who, who wanted to come into the market and and really always focusing exclusively on the recorded side of the business because I, I've just always been really quite evangelical I think about the value of recorded music and how the the whole concept of um, old records should just be given away it's all about live music and it's great to get back to getting rid of the record labels I was like no actually no, recorded music is hugely valuable to everyone's day-to-day -day life and in China that value had to be built from zero and 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 um, we're really just coming out of the other side of what is now known as the the the, the ice age of the Chinese um, music, which I, I unwittingly moved into China just as the Ice Age was really kicking in. Well, how do you frame it in, as the Ice Age, and why was that potentially then a, a, a 
a failure point? There, there was actually a CD industry in China in, in the 90s. And uh, going back to the really early 90s, all of the labels were pretty much government owned. And then a small sort of independent sector came up and, and some of the big artists were actually selling CDs. And it, there was a recorded music business. But then the, the sort of consumer internet arrived in China in the early 2000s and, and just, uh, just completely gutted even the, even the pirate CD market was completely gutted um, to the point where, I mean, at that point, anyone who went onto the internet had the upfront assumption that recorded music was was free. It was just a complete ocean of unregulated music that it was just one click to download a file, and there was no, there was no, never any sort of issue with that. And and really, 2005, 2006 was where the internet really started to um, catch on, and 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 digital music kind of arrived. And and it, as I said, it it it, not, it gutted the physical business, and didn't provide any kind of digital business. The only digital business, if you want to call it that, uh, at that time, that really sort of came about was the ringback tone, um, which is uh, a peculiar kind of digital product which is the the tone that you hear when you call someone else's mobile so they're, they're paying for that tone as a part of a ser service package with their um, telco um, but they never get to hear it so it's a really odd product that people pay for and, and, and in China that was almost you know several billion four or five billion dollars a year I forget the exact number but it's several billion dollars a year in, in sales of, of these ringback tones and no one who's paying for it actually ever got to hear what they were buying it's really kind of an odd thing and and but at that time you would look at that superficially and say wow there is there's uh, you know four four billion dollars or five billion dollars a year being spent on these things but only one to two percent of that was making it back to the rights owners and that one to two percent constituted the entirety of the Chinese music industry at that at that point, and I, I sort of arrived, you know, really incredibly naive, and and I, I tried to do my basic research, but there wasn't really anything to go on, and and so I think I, I moved over in in an almost complete absence of of uh, of information um, and just a lot of uh, enthusiasm, and I think that obviously looking back now, if I had the the information that I have now, uh, I probably wouldn't have moved. But that's the sort of paradox of this: is that I'm 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 really glad I did in the end. But looking back at it now, it's like wow, if I'd known it would take ten years for the industry to really emerge out of that kind of ice age, um, who knows? Maybe I wouldn't have decided to go. But I, I've yet to work that one out. Um, so I think I think re really with with the digital side of things, the ringback tone. Um, was this kind of sealed off product basically that only a few people could benefit from and then and then really from about 2011 onwards um, licensing started to happen in the uh, in the online space in in the streaming apps and and that's really what started the kind of uplift of of, of online music and, and ringback tones are now r really died out massively and now what we have is the emergence of a, of a pure sort of streaming economy or freemium streaming economy which which is where the real uplift in the market comes from and that's actually a, a public marketplace uh, as opposed to the ringback tones which were owned and operated by the state-owned telecommunications mo mobile companies whereas the online marketplace now is a is a is privately owned you know it's Tencent and Alibaba and all these guys so there's a marketplace there now and people competing using content as a sort of competitive edge and, and we participate in that marketplace which is which is really just starting to emerge now so that's where the excitement lies wow i'm just I'm thinking about all the different stories we've had on this podcast on innovation. And for a lot of people, it's around passion or it's around seeing a problem or having a very specific creative viewpoint. 
you pushed through a lot of things that might have been flags for other people to not come play and were there for the whole struggles of the long struggles of a whole new innovative space to create structure. Is this what you do in other work you've done? Is, is innovation to you kind of historically or perspective-wise a long slog to bring synthesis together? How do you think about innovation? Well, I mean, innovation is an interesting one f from our perspective. I mean, I think that innovation in a music sense as in the typically represented by the service side of it service provided to the consumer offering them new value propositions and new types of engagement with music i mean that that's obviously that's probably the more sexy kind of end of innovation and we we actually as a sort of b2b company we really are involved in the back end stuff which is which is the licensing and supply chain issues which uh, i i wouldn't say are typically seen as being where the innovation occurs but but actually my argument here, if I was to flip this a little bit on his head, is that the innovation on the on the consumer end, unless it sits on top of a, a solid infrastructure of a kind of professional modern supply chain, things like metadata, is something that you know I, I probably wouldn't have had much interest in back in um, uh, back in the UK. You realise that when you're dealing with music services in in China, where they're very new to the idea of let's say reporting even on on the use of music. They, they cannot report unless they have the correct metadata. And historically, all of these platforms have got all of this sort of fake content up there or pirate content up there that doesn't have the metadata attached. And I think before we, we sort of discuss what innovation really means on a consumer sort of end in China, we need to get that kind of infrastructure sorted so that people actually know what rights they have swirling around in their platforms and they know how to pay people properly and they know how to actually build a business that is attached to reality in some way and, and metadata is that uh, attachment effectively we, we wouldn't we would never sort of classify ourselves as an innovative company we, we kind of really get into the nuts and bolts that allow other companies hopefully to innovate on top of the the sort of back-end stuff that we we help with you know if we look at globally the, the way that the streaming market is, is developed globally you really do see that progression happen in China but but several years behind so for example the, the original competition within streaming let's say internationally was you know who's got the biggest catalog and it was let's get all these rights on board it's 10 million it's 20 million it's 30 million songs within a catalog of course, eventually everyone has everything, and then you have to differentiate or innovate, if you like, on top of that catalog to provide an extra layer of value to your your users to 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 build your your kind of user base, and that most obviously has come from curation in the form of playlisting, typically, and so that's a huge competitive area which in China frankly that has not yet arrived so we feel that we're probably quite a pain to a lot of the companies that we work with because we're there saying look before we really start getting heavy into the marketing and sales side of stuff and, and trying to be like doing creative marketing campaigns can we please get the licensed uh, the license in place properly and then the delivery of the content in there properly with the metadata and then cleaning out the bad old content and let's get that sorted and then let's innovate on top of that in the form of creative marketing. In many ways though, you, you say you're not innovative, but yet you're creating bridges that don't exist to bring um, sort of established 
ecosystem infrastructure stuff that's that's still being digested in the United States and other countries, but bringing that as a cutting edge to China and bridging the two, and not just the two countries, you're in Berlin now. You don't think that that's also a major innovation point is being that, I love the term boundary spanner, but you're, you're, you're connecting all the dots together that is that part of the innovation that you bring as well? I wouldn't sort of flatter myself to say that's being too innovative. I mean, uh, we I think we do bring in cutting edge sort of business practice and technology into that that process, but it's not us that sort of um, uh, the the origin of that particular. That's our clients, so delivery companies like CI, for example, in the UK, um, who who deliver content. We work very closely with them and. You know, you could argue that a lot of the work that we do is sort of first of its kind, and 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 it, but it still does fall in the realm of kind of nuts and bolts, trying to get the very very basic elements of the industry in place so that we can actually move forward. I mean, we do have a, a kind of a part of the business that we call labs, which is where we're we're trying out our own little ideas to to basically fill the spaces that you might take for granted as a. Um, as a, an international music marketer, for example, where, you know, we, we would love to be seeding playlists or, 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 you know, pitching music to playlists. And, but really playlists in China as a, as by means of a, a marketing channel is, is really, really broken, very poorly managed in, in all of the platforms. And, and so we say, look, we want to have great playlists for us to, for us to pitch into. We speak to the, the, the digital services and they need help, frankly, to actually get their, playlists going so we've created our own playlist brand which we then trademarked the name of that brand and then started these sort of batch of playlists within one of the services and we're now taking those individual playlists trademarking the names of the playlist and then and then moving them on to making them into their own radio shows on China state radio because we want to have a radio show that we can pitch properly I mean we, we do do radio promotions in China but it's into these kind of otherwise quite formulaic radio stations across the country but we want to have a radio show that really deals with the type of music that we're really pushing and so we have to create that ourselves and i guess in that space you, you, that that's the amazing thing with china i think is that particularly coming at it from an international perspective is that i'd like to think i've got a fairly good handle on on the, the way that the international industry has developed and what are the key roles that are being taken up by people to fill market gaps and in china we see those gaps all over the market basically and it could be anything from as simple as just a simple playlisting brand and so we have to make that ourselves as music marketers what do we want in the marketplace and why is it not there and maybe that's a gap that we then need to fill ourselves so that we can actually have a kind of marketing channel that we can use so so it's 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 incredibly exciting in that respect. But I, I would say that um, I would say that it's it's a, a kind of um, an uphill struggle in some cases. But, uh, but if you're not basing it on this underlying infrastructure and uh, other things like reporting, for example, getting uh, good data out of the market, then you're really throwing stuff out into the darkness and and just hoping it sort of has an impact on someone somewhere. So um, why is it why is it not there? I mean. It, it is not that playlists are not obvious and somewhat translucent looking at other marketplaces or um, English language marketplaces. Why are the gaps in the Chinese market space? Why are, why are other people uh, not necessarily filling them or why are they thinly filled? Well, I think because 
um, we've really come out of this period of, of as I was saying, I think I mentioned, you know, 99% piracy for digital right. music. And, and that basically means there's no business there. And if there's no business there, then there's no confidence in the onward progression of, let's say, music copyright as a, as a, as a, a vehicle to do business with. Uh, and if there's no confidence, then people don't apply capital to it. It doesn't attract capital, which means that there's, uh, people are less likely to take risks and they have less money to, to, to take risks with. It's, it's only when you have the emergence of the underlying business, namely, at this point, streaming revenues, uh, where people start getting those checks in through streaming companies or start seeing that the revenue is generally going up, that people say, oh, okay, well, now we've got the beginnings of a market. Why don't we build services and products that sit on top of that marketplace? We feel comfortable taking a, a risk on that now because we can see the money coming through. And until the money's there, people don't want to take risks and risks come with confidence. And it's only the confidence is starting to come now, if that makes sense. I'm not sure. It does. Uh, quest question for you on that. So what other differences are there between, let's say, for listeners who are more familiar with the US market and China? I'm familiar with the fact that there is much more mobile than PC use, that there's a gigantic use of ad blockers in mobile, which we don't yet have to the same level here. What are the other, and the history of piracy and continuation of piracy, of course, what are sort of the other differences that you're having to wrestle with? I think in general, you can see really broad kind of similarities between the markets insofar as where the audience is going and, and, um, and the, the introduction of uh, freemium, for example. So we're now seeing um, premium subscribers coming in in China. There's about 15 to 20 million or so subscribers. But beyond that, the similarities kind of taper off a little bit. I think the main areas being the way that music is licensed in China at this point, you have... Uh, let's say one of the major uh, tech companies, Tencent, which owns uh, its subsidiary Tencent Music Entertainment, which in turn owns three of the major digital platforms, uh, streaming services, and they have something like a 70% market share. They also have the exclusive distribution rights for Universal, Sony, and Warner, and a, and a whole host of other local major rights owners. So Tencent owns something like three quarters of all of the, well not owns, it has the exclusive distribution right for something like three quarters of all of recorded music in China. That's something I think is very, very difficult for people outside of the market to get their head around, and frankly difficult for even people inside the market. You know, as, as I always say, I mean, it's the, it's the equivalent of those three major labels giving Spotify the exclusive distribution right to their catalogs and then Spotify going on to Apple Music and licensing those rights on their own terms. So it, it's kind of insane, you know, and it's something that we would never even consider internationally. But in China, and, and I think if I was to play uh, devil's advocate here, it's a desperate measure taken in a desperate market. And, and ultimately, you could argue that it was that giving of the power to Tencent that allowed Tencent to be a, a first mover in the policing of the market. So it used that content, uh, that exclusivity of that content to police the market and get other platforms to take that content down. And in a way, and other platforms then followed suit. So Ali Music and, and uh, NetEase started getting their own exclusive rights and to a lesser degree. But Amongst all of that licensing war, effectively, piracy went from 99% to under 30%. So there's been a collapse of piracy in China because of this sort of licensing marketplace, which is, is completely unique to China. 
other kind of interesting areas would be the fact that we often talk in the West about the, the sort of streaming on-ramp or, or the music, uh, so the, the movement of ownership to access as a concept. In China, I mean, there was a download movement, if you like, or, or marketplace. Um, well, it was never a marketplace. Downloading was the co- common way of consuming music. It was all for free. It was through these big MP3 search engines like Baidu was the, was the big one there where you can get anything you want downloaded instantly. Then people just moved into streaming. You know, there was no real big concerns about that. Streaming just kind of arrived. Now we have something like 500 million people in in China are consuming music through the internet. And we reckon easily 90% of those people will be using one or more of the freemium streaming services. Uh, With downloading kind of being really an afterthought now. It's all about streaming. It's all about streaming through mobile. And so ad-supported streaming, the, uh, the concept of access as opposed to ownership, the concept of access has arrived on, in scale in China that kind of dwarfs anywhere else. So you could argue there's 400 to 500 million people who are already on the free tier of the streaming services. Whereas you look at what that means from a global perspective, and I actually haven't checked the numbers recently, but you know, Spotify is something like 150 million monthly active users uh, of which... And once again, you might check this, but I think it's 40 to 50 million paying users, if I, if I remember rightly. At this point, you have 500 million people who are already on the free ad-supported tier of streaming. They're already on the on-ramp. We've kind of skipped ahead in China in that respect. And, and now, in terms of that on-ramp or funnel, if you like, it's all about converting those people into paying subscribers. And, and that's something that in China, uh, you know, even four years ago, perhaps, the concept of of people paying for music was still incredibly alien. And, and even, you know, I think I was even quoted in places saying, look, I don't know if that's ever going to arrive in any meaningful way. And, and it, it, it started now. All of those services, they all have a, a paid tier, which is all the usual stuff, uh, higher quality uh, audio and better mobility and a certain batch of downloads you can have if you still want to have that. And other kind of value adds within the paid tier that uh, are trying to drive people up there. Um, it's quite slow progress, but it started, as I said, there's something like 15 to 20 million people in those paid tiers now. So paid music has arrived in China. And I think that while the numbers are still fairly small, I, I forget now, I think it's something like 150, $160 million a year in total coming from digital music in China to the record label. All you need is the beginnings of what you might call a transactional engagement between the industry and the and the end user just for people to start seeing that money come in and then and then then that's as good as done in a way in terms of proof of concept proof that it will work to some degree and the confidence comes flooding into the market and people start taking a much more positive long view on the market but the real pressure now is to take four or five hundred million people and convince them of the premium nature of music you know the fact that it's something that if you if you want to really get the most out of it or have the most mobility or the most convenience then you need to start paying for it and and so that that's a huge a huge ask there's no there's no question but the fact is it's now seen as being attainable as opposed to just this complete nonsense which is frankly what we all thought four or five years ago so um, question so, on that then yeah if not playlists and you're on the mobile phone with the lovely tiny screens how are people of this 400 to 500 million free tier discovering music or or rediscovering music that's the big question i mean when i say 
playlists are bad. I mean, it, it's not that there are no playlists. It's just that they're, very, they're really bad. They're quite often sort of pay to play. They're sort of brands or labels that you'll have a sort of a BMG playlist, you know, and, and what, what exactly goes into a BMG playlist? It's, it's a really odd, um, it's a really odd concept. And, and I think that how do people discover music? I mean, historically in China, what we would say is that it was a, it was a hit-driven culture, meaning that, you know, five years ago, if you went onto one of these services, the only real navigation or discovery mechanisms within the, the platform would be top 100 male singers, top 100 female singers, top 100 uh, J-pop, etc. Um, and people would just go into those lists and just download the whole lot, you know, because that's what's hot right now and that's what their friends are listening to and it's all hits, hits, hits. I mean, that was the understanding at least. And, and then there was this quite interesting um, survey done uh, several years ago by Tencent, who I think they published this, um, saying that 70% of their audience, as in people who are actually on the platform, 70% or roughly that, that figure, uh, don't care what they're listening to, which, which flies, flies right in the face of the idea of a hit-driven culture, obviously. People who are not caring what they listen to, apart, it sounds depressing up front, but actually the reality is it, it just means people want music that they like. You know, the music that fits the context that they're in, it fits the mood that they're in at that point. They don't really care so much who made it, you know, who the artist is or who the, what the song name is, which suggests a sort of lack of engagement, perhaps. But at the same time, it's still enjoying the music for just for what it is at that particular context at that particular time. And, and so that, that kind of understanding basically led the platforms to say okay well maybe if the majority of our audience don't care what they're listening to we don't have to go out and just get the hits we can go out and get other catalogs that's just good quality music and then try and find a way to service that up to our our audience in the form of playlists and other kind of curation elements um, and that that was a major part of what opened up the market to licensing of what you would typically call sort of yeah, the kind of long tail content you know content that that might not have been a bit chart chart hits but actually have some quality and some depth they need that to populate those playlists yeah yes i mean that's that is a stepping stone into a, a, a deeper sort of music catalog which then needs to be curated better and that's where we got up to so we're <laughs> the curation is still bad but 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 the point to to answer your question people discover music still by going into these things and clicking on playlists that frankly are, are not so well done or still in the kind of charts or other kind of um, way, ways that are sort of just pushing things in different types of context or mood. It's not a, it's still a, not a particularly deep engagement with the music or the underlying artist behind it and what their story is. But the audience has come from a really basic period, frankly, of, of very straightforward Mando pop, as it's known, Mandarin pop coming from you know, Taiwan and the mainland and then Canto pop coming from China. You know, there's a lot of amazing music there, of course, but there's also a lot of it which is really formulaic pop, which is just designed to be very easy to digest. And then the internet kind of opened up people's eyes, I think, to much broader music tastes. And I think as the younger generation come up, they, they want to dig deeper into music and there's more curiosity about learning different genres. I mean, the concept of genre is, is really not well understood in China. And in a way, things like mood and uh, mood becomes a genre in and of itself. And people just getting more and more curious about stuff and wanting to learn new sounds and new, new inputs generally into their lives. And, and music is really going to be serving that, that curiosity.
yes, once again, to answer your question, discovery of music is still an incredibly poor process, but all the signs of it being a, a really rich area of engagement with an audience that needs some kind of guidance, I would say, at this point. So, Ed, um, you were so fascinating because you have declined several times in our conversation here being an innovator, and yet you're doing massively innovative stuff connecting the dots, looking at how to bring innovations from one space to another, etc. And we're right now sitting in July 2017 when we're having this conversation, and you've just published a paper on India. So what? You know, you, you've now spent 10 years getting to know China and now being at much more of a sweet spot in a market coming together. And we'll share on our website as well as and I shared in several other places right now your, your work that you're doing in India. And you're painting India with maybe a similar picture to where China was coming from. Can you talk about that direction of your work? I mean, I'm actually doing an MBA at the moment in Berlin, which is where I am right now. As part of the MBA, I'm doing a, a thesis on the Indian music industry. And to be, to be honest with you, it's, it's in a strange way, it's kind of a mental sabbatical sort of thing where I've always wanted to do a, a really extended piece of writing about something. And, and India, I just I, I think it's just fascinating as a place. And I'm not putting myself under too much pressure to, to you know, rush in there and do business. I just want to... I just want to sort of take a bit of time to look at the market and really actually, I think there's this kind of maybe a understandable misinterpretation of these markets as being completely opaque, completely closed for business, impossible to navigate. And the reality is, is that there are certain structures you can just map out effectively in these markets that, that make things start to make sense. You've got to go all the way back down to copyright law uh, the wording of the copyright law, which rights are protected, and then you go and look at, okay, well, which of those are then being exploited by a particular service, and how do the telcos play a role, and, and you start building up, uh, you know, and obviously at the end, you've got the kind of consumer behavior at the end, but really what you have there is actually a fairly navigable set of rights that are exploited in the marketplace by an audience who have certain preferences, you know, and I think what I'm trying to do in India is say, well, yes, of course, it's a completely different market to China. I just want to see if it's possible to start applying those basic framework ideas to the Indian market and try to make sense of it. Because once again, there's, there's actually not a lot of good information out there about how the Indian market works. Maybe, you know, I have a nice chance at this point to, to have, a, have a look at that. Um, obviously, the first one was an, an introduction to the digital music industry in China. And it, it, it has actually been sort of quite widely circulated. And I've, I've got um, I've got quite a, a good network in India now after many years of being a, a, a kind of emerging markets guy. And, and so there's a lot of background information to that article, which I feel is, is pretty solid and, and my Indian kind of industry friends all said that yeah that's pretty much on, on, on point but at the same time I think a, a few people were a little bit upset about it because it's really applying a level of scrutiny to a marketplace that that is is still very um, in a bit of a transitional period and there's lots of people who are uncertain about how to move forward and some people I guess in, in some situations trying to paint a, a certain picture of the market either positively or negatively where it's it's as I said it's a transitional market and and to apply scrutiny to it right now can rub people up the wrong way I would say it's the di diplomatic way of saying it. You have a really just a marvelous knack of 
sort of putting puzzle pieces together from being able to see from one space into another. Are you seeing maybe, you know, two or three other companies or organizations that you're excited about who are doing interesting things either in these markets or in similar ways? Without talking about clients, I know you have many clients in these spaces. Other than talking about clients, is there anybody else that you're intrigued or excited about? Within the emerging market space, I would say it's more about people I respect for their uh, uh, sort of um, bravery of going into a particular space. I, I like uh, Savan in, in India, for example, um, who are providing a really great um, – they're, they're one of their arguably the biggest streaming service in India right now. And, and um, they are a great bunch of people who have made a great product and are – paying people and I think as well at the moment they're doing something called Artist Originals which is effectively a label, their internal label. It's it's kind of the label that, that people rumored Spotify are kind of setting up and but it, it actually, you know, Savin have actually said, okay, well we want to support artists and, and um and create some recordings that will premiere and sort of prioritize within our own platform. And see if that's a way of, of building people uh, people's careers in the long term. And I think they're managing to do that to some success. And I think the the adventurousness of that and the kind of positivity of that, I think, is really inspiring to me. I, I my my thing for for a lot of this stuff is 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 about confidence, and it's about saying, well, how do we bring the confidence um, in a long term success of a market? How do we bring that to the front in the form of upfront um, A and R budgets or advances or marketing spends? Basically, stuff that benefits artists, that makes recordings, that that actually creates, uh, uh, stimulates a, an industry. Because we're a very artist centric company, and I think that, as I said, back to the Savin thing, they're, they're effectively translating their long-term confidence in the Indian market into upfront spending on the development of these artists through the Artists Original platform. And, and it's that, that's inspirational, I think. Um, we don't really have that uh, in China yet. Um, I think there's too many other missing pieces in China for that to be um, a thing at this point. And I would just love to travel in your luggage and, and see what you're seeing in the various markets that you're, you're getting involved in. Do you have any final thoughts as we wrap up this conversation? For me, I'm I'm incredibly interested in in people studying music business at this point as a as a degree or as a master's or whatever. And and I remember like getting into the industry myself, and and no one seemed to study that particularly. It's very rare that you'd find someone in that in that uh, sort of course. And and so the industry is populated by kind of people like me who did you know English and politics at university or whatever stuff that didn't really apply. And and the industry is an incredibly complicated animal you know and i think that to apply yourself into actually understanding the foundations of it uh, with a long-term aim to be for a career in the industry i think is a really worthwhile thing to do and it's just a great time to be doing it as well but on top of that i would say that it's it's also a great time if you're studying to start applying yourself or start like having a look at least at these emerging markets india and china with you know a five-year to ten-year view where ultimately these these markets are going to really come up very quickly i'm not going to say they're going to shoot past the u.s anytime soon but they're going to be you know top five markets or china is going to be a top five market in the next few years and and a lot of people's potential future careers 
in this kind of digital global age are going to be multi-territory global roles and these emerging markets are going to be absolutely pivotal or at least an understanding of them is going to be absolutely pivotal to people's careers if they want to be a kind of truly global executive let's say start looking at these things now and this is why i'm happy to do this podcast is is um just throwing, just throwing a little bit of that into into you, you and your courses, and hopefully it's of some help, and and hopefully we can do more together in the future. I think it's just um, a great time to be looking at these markets. Yeah. Well, Ed, thank you very much for sharing with us. Appreciate it, and we will continue to be watching your adventures, travels on the globe, and your quixotic um, views of going in with a wonderful five to ten year lens, which is a lot longer than most people have. So thank you for joining us today. An absolute pleasure. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks, Well, that wraps up this podcast. Many thanks to the UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music and the UCLA Center for Music Innovation for being our hosts of this ongoing series. You can subscribe to us in all the usual places, or you can come find us at innovation.schoolofmusic.ucla.edu. Join us again to follow the other adventures that we will be tracking down in innovating music. Thanks again. Thanks for listening. You have found one of our adventures now in the Marimel Podcast Network. You can find our shows everywhere that you listen to podcasts. We've got Amplify Music Conversations from the Amplify Music Conferences during the pandemic, Creative Innovators, and now Innovating Music. If you're interested in following up with us in any of these shows, please reach out on our websites and you can find those in the show notes.